who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, we give thanks to you for your word, and we ask now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we hear the things that you want us to hear this day, and may our lives be changed by all that you want to do in us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, good morning, lovely people, and it is fab as always to be with you. Now, Hands up if you haven't heard the reading that we have just heard before, the parable of the Good Samaritan. No hands go up, of course. Hands up if you haven't heard a sermon on it before. Again, no hands go up. If you've knocked about church a little bit over the years, you will be familiar with this parable. It is told over and over and over again. It's one of the first ones that we teach the kids in Sunday school. In fact, it's one of those ones that transcends church culture into popular culture. If I was even to say the word Samaritan to somebody out on the street today, they will know about an organisation named after this parable that looks after and takes care of people. This is one of the big ones, and such quite a challenging one to look for any kind of new insight on it. So much so, in fact, if I was to say to you today, what is this parable all about? No doubt you'll say already, it is about loving the Lord and loving your neighbour. How do you know that? Well, Hannah's already said it, and most of the point, Jesus said it. Before he launched into the parable itself, Jesus said, by the way, this is what it's all about. And that's the funny thing about parables. Some of them, Jesus explains what they're about. This one from the very beginning. Others, he leaves hanging in the air like some kind of mystery. But here we are, Jesus directly saying, this is about love. Love for God and love for your neighbor. And This tale serves a purpose throughout time of explaining what love really looks like and who our neighbour truly is. So what's that got to do with the current themes that we're thinking about in church and indeed our LMA at the moment? As you may or may not know, this year we are looking at discipleship. And over these last few weeks... We've been exploring generosity as part of discipleship. And today, we've been given a theme of the service of generosity in our time. Not love and love for our neighbor. But with that, it's important to remember that love has an application. I love Delith dearly. But if I just say to it all the time, I love you, I love you, I love you, after a while, it becomes pointless. You have to demonstrate it in some way. 
And in this parable, there are lots of things we can look at to see how that love is demonstrated, especially in these gifts of generosity and the gift of generosity in the time that we give. Now, in this reading, there are a few baddies on display. Of course, there's the bandits, there's the robbers. They are no good, are they? They beat up this dude and leave him for dead. Naughty, naughty. But what about the others as well? You've got the priest. Never trust one of them. He's a wrong one from the start. Walking past. And then the Levite, an expert in the law, all the same. Before we land on the Samaritan, who of course does the good thing. Now try and put yourself on the Samaritan's donkey for a moment. You're having a nice little strut through some villages, going along your way. You're in a territory which perhaps you don't know. One, given the fact that it's dominated by priests and Levites who are walking along, is in the more Jewish end of the land. You're on edge while you see this happening. What on earth would you do? Now, the vast majority of us, given all the things that are going against us, would probably move on. But this guy, of course, doesn't. He gets off the donkey and tends to the guy's needs. I wonder where he was on a journey to. Maybe he was going to see some family. Maybe he was going to see some friends. We just don't know. That's one of those answers we'll never get. But the one thing we can say is his plans were well and truly interrupted. He did not seek out when he set off on that journey to do some do-gooding. The do-gooding just happened to come his way. And he had the option of going on like the priest and the Levite, but he stopped and he helped. And that teaches us an awful lot about our time, our plans, and really challenges us on this notion of interruption. Are we willing to be interrupted? When I finished university, I was unemployed for a while and took my first proper job, a temporary job in Merthyr Council as an admin assistant. First day in the job, I thought I'm going to take on the world, nice white shirt, sparkly tie, few pens, went in to do the business. As it turned out, my job actually wasn't all that hard. I had a bit of data input to do, I had some letters to write, and I could have done it all within really two hours a day, if I'm being honest. But later that day, I got home and I saw my mum, and mum said to me, how are you feeling? I said, I'm knackered, mum. She said, why are you so tired? I said, well, the job itself was straightforward. The problem is, though, the phone kept ringing. And every time the phone rang, somebody wanted a conversation. And then somebody in the office would say something. And then somebody else would walk in. And before I knew it, I only just got finished what I needed to be done. And she just said to me, welcome to the world of work. That is exactly what it's like. You want to do something and you're going to get interrupted. Now, is there anything more annoying in the world than being interrupted? 
If you've shared an office with somebody, you might know what that's like. If you sat on a sofa with somebody when you want to watch TV, you'll know what that's like. If you're in the cinema watching a film with one of my friends who never understands a plot line for anything, you'll understand what that's like. Concentrating daily on whatever's in front of you, whatever task you have, and somebody coming along to interrupt you. Trying to prepare a sermon, and a seven-year-old coming to you saying, can you download this app for me on my phone? Happens all the time, doesn't it, buddy? You will know what it's like to be interrupted, and you will know how annoying it can be. But when we are willing to be interrupted, some incredible things can happen. Look back at the teachings of the New Testament. Look at the Gospels and even go into the Acts of Apostles, which we looked at last year, and see how often interruption happens. In fact, look at the stories of Jesus and see how many miracles took place when he was interrupted. See how many healings took place when he was interrupted. See how much wonderful teaching took place when he was interrupted. And I'll tell you what, you'll struggle to find an example of Jesus doing his thing without him being interrupted. A normal story of Jesus goes along the lines of he was walking through a village when his disciples, when somebody stopped him. Somebody stopped him asked him for a healing, asked him for a miracle, and then the miracle took place. Really, does Jesus go out and seek to perform the miracle? He is stopped. He is interrupted. Even his very first miracle, turning water into wine, he was just looking to have a good time at a party. It was Mary who came along and said, they've run out of booze. Can you do something about it, please? Even his own mother wanting to interrupt him to get on and do what he needed to do. And the same happened in the Acts of the Apostles as well. When a miracle took place, when a healing took place, when somebody was raised from the dead, it was because of an interruption. Go through the story and read about how Paul was speaking to a room full of people for so long that a fella fell asleep and fell out of a window. Talk about an interruption. He was fully in his flow a good few hours into it when this guy decides selfishly to drop off the sleep and fall out. That's when he was raised from the dead through prayer. Interruptions. There is a ministry in interruption. Sometimes we might want to go about our day and somebody comes our way and we think, not today, please, I just need to hide But when we are willing to be interrupted, we can see the power of God absolutely at work. The church is open now, um, basically nine till five most days. And it's been annoying. (laughs) Over the last two years, it has been lovely to come in. It's been lovely to come in, do the little bits we need to do, have a meeting, record things, And nothing happens. Recently, though, people have been walking in and interrupting. A couple of weeks ago, I came in to record something in the side chapel for the nave. And there was a couple there. 
And I was trying to ignore them, setting my stuff up. And then my conscience got the better of me. And I walked up to go to the toilet and they stopped me. And I said, oh, hello, how are you? And then they just asked for prayer. And I remember praying for them and the sense of God being so powerful, it was phenomenal. They went away and bless them, I haven't seen them since. But I was heading back, kicking myself, thinking, you selfish little sod. All he wanted to do was get in and record that, and he was happy to ignore them. And it was really only because of the prompting of God and the guilt that I was receiving that made me go out and do it. But if that hadn't happened, that presence of God wouldn't have been there. And what difference did it make in my life anyway, other than being a couple of minutes late to get something to Sam? I'm always late getting stuff to Sam. <laughs> you know, being interrupted can lead to incredible things. And this Samaritan was willing to be interrupted on that day. He had plans. He had better things to do. He had other places he could have been, but he was willing to be interrupted. But what's more, he wasn't just willing to be interrupted. He was willing to take it to the next step. Unlike me, who on that day just prayed for this couple and then went about my day, he invested in this guy as well, the man who had been beaten up. He could have just poured on the oil, tended to him, even marched him off to hospital, but it didn't end there. This was a true investment of time. The next day, he was with him still. He wanted him to get better. He was in it for the long haul. And there's a real challenge to us for that as well, to be in it for a long haul. One of the words we love to use about church is we're a family. And I love that phrase, and I really do believe that we are a family, and we need to seek to be like a family all the more. But sometimes, just sometimes, it's not just this church, but all churches, we don't really want to do the family thing and be in it for a long haul. Don't get me wrong, we're all nice people, and we want to do our little bit to help. But how often, when we see somebody with a big problem that can go on for days, weeks, years even, do we just want to say a prayer and move on? How often do we want to all be wetter in one instant and then get on with our lives? Actually, we need to be in it for the long. We need to care for each other in the long term. We need to pastorally love each other in the same way that Jesus did. Because as much as Jesus was interrupted by people, those who were in his family, he invested in. For three years, he traveled with his disciples. For three years, he invested in them. For three years, he taught them and prepared them for what would happen when he was gone. And after he left, those disciples took those same principles and put them into play in their own lives. In Acts, we read how they sold everything to be there for one another. When they were in need, they were willing to do things to fulfill that need. When the church in Jerusalem was poor, the church in the other side of the world took a collection to take care of them. 
They just weren't offering up quick prayers to sort it out and hope it'll be okay. They were in it for the long haul. That's something that we need to do as well, to be in it for the long haul. And that's a really annoying thing because sometimes, even out of love, when we want somebody to just get better, they need a lot more investment. Sometimes people will keep coming back and back and back to us and we need to be there, there, there for them. In the same way that Jesus is constantly there for us. There are people who we will meet and they'll meet them in church, we'll meet them in life, who we just want to shake and say, it's not that hard, come on, sort it out. Whatever problem it is that they are going through. But that's not the way of the Lord. It is to be with them at all times. When they let us down to forgive us, forgive them and move on. We need to be people who really need to live out what it means to be family. To live for each other. To help each other. And to constantly be there for each other. As many of you know, I live with a lifelong illness. And the one thing that always shook me about getting a lifelong illness in my 20s was, I'm always going to have it. And because I'm always going to have it, I'm always going to need to be cared for on some level. And bless them, the wonderful people that is the NHS, look after me magnificently. Those same principles we need to adapt in the family that is the church to look after each other constantly. Whatever our troubles, whatever our problems, whatever we're going through, what does it really mean to love? What does it really mean to be a neighbor? Look at the example of the Samaritan. Look at what he did. This wasn't a one-off gig. This isn't one thing that he did. This was a constant. He kept helping. And he kept helping somebody who was the polar opposite to him. He helped somebody who he would have been shunned for helping. If you know the background to the story at all, you will know that it was not appropriate for Jews and Samaritans to mix. They were enemies. And Jesus, in telling this parable and using the Samaritan, was being incredibly provocative to all those who are listening. Even mentioning a good one could have caused something of a storm. But it also raises for us another question. You see, history has bestowed the title upon this parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus didn't give that title. It's what we've kind of given the title to later on. But maybe it could be called the parable of the gracious Jew. Because as much as the Samaritan did his bit, the Jew did his bit as well. The Jew accepted help from the Samaritan. He accepted the interruption. He accepted the invitation. He accepted the investment. You know, the Jewish guy who was beaten up was well within his rights to say, no, thank you. I'll wait for the next person to come along. But he didn't. 
one of the best tools that we have for understanding the parables you may have heard before is look for the twist. Look for the part of the story where it all seems to go wrong. Look for the bit where it all goes a bit weird and people who are listening at the time will go, yeah, what? Think of the parable of the good shepherd who left 99 sheep to find the one. That wouldn't happen. No good farmer would do that. They would look at their investment of the 99 and look after them before going off to the one. There was a twist there. Or the parable of the sower who was liberally scattering the skied everywhere. No good farmer would have done that. They would have taken care of the special product. And the twist here is that the good guy is the Samaritan. That would have shocked every single person who was listening to this story. It would shock them to understand that a Samaritan could be good. And it would have shocked them all the more that this Jew, a good solid Jew, was willing to accept help from a Samaritan. Who would we accept love from? Who would we accept time from? Who would we accept investment from? Is there anyone who we would struggle to take it from? Are we the ones who need to give the love? Or are we willing to receive it exactly the same? Are we willing to be the person who's beaten up, accepting the love, even off a stranger, though it's quite a humbling experience? And we forget that this Jew was completely humbled by all of this. He didn't want to be beaten up. He didn't want to be helped by a Samaritan. But he allowed all of that to happen. A few years ago, I had a phone call in the night to go and see somebody in hospital who was just about to die. The phone rang and my heart sank. It was at that time where I knew something like this was going to happen. I'd had a rubbish day. I'd had a rubbish week. And this was the last thing that I wanted to do. And so basically I said to Liz, I'm off up the hospital, grabbed my Bible, grabbed a prayer book, grabbed my holy oil, got in the car and went up to the hospital. I got there and I thought, right, in and out job. No one's going to want me to be there. This poor lady, bless her, who I didn't know very well at all, was close to death. I'll pray for her and then I'll quietly leave and go home and watch something on telly. Much to my surprise, when I got into the hospital, I was led upstairs and it was all very quiet. And this lady was incredibly lucid. Though she was close to death, she was completely with it. And so we sat down and talked and we had this conversation. And this lady had this wonderful voice, like a Radio 4 presenter. And she just asked me, how are you? And for whatever reason, I said, I've had better days, how are you? And she said, well, I'm dying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but she was interested in me. And we talked, and we talked, and we talked, and she encouraged me. And we talked for just ages and ages and ages before she got too tired. And then 
we prayed together and she just roped her eyes up to heaven and said, I'll see you again sometime. I got in the car and cried my eyes out. And I cried my eyes out because, one, I didn't get to know this woman as well as I would love to over the years. Two, because I went in looking like the big I am to be the priest who did the blessing. But three, I was the one who was ministered to. I went in to do my job, but she did my job for me. I was the one who was cared for on that day. And I can't wait one day to see her in heaven to chat some more. Who do we accept help from? Accepting help is an incredibly hard thing to do. So many of us are quite proud people. It's hard to accept help. It's hard to accept love. It's hard to accept prayer. Sometimes we only do it when we're forced into it. During COVID, when the first kicked off, it was the first time in my life I really had to lean on other people for help. Literally, to get food delivered and all the rest of it. It's a hard, humbling thing to go through. But it is the way of the Lord. And it's how the Lord demonstrates his love on this earth. Time is a gift. It is a gift of generosity. Generosity that is born out of love. There is only so much time that we have in this world. There's only so much time we have in our day. There's only so much time that we have to spare. The big question is, how are we willing to use it? Are we willing to be interrupted for the sake of the kingdom? Are we willing to invest in people even though there might be other things that we want to do? Are we willing to receive help when we are the ones who need help as well? There's a reason why this parable has been told over and over again since the beginning of time. A reason why we all know it. A reason why we've all heard sermons on it. And that is because it's blinking brilliant. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he had that conversation with the Pharisee about what love really was. This is the love of God. This is the love of God that he has for us. This is the love of God that he wants us to share. May our hearts be changed to share that love. May we do it in the time that we have as well. And may the Lord bless us with generous hearts. Let's pray as we finish. Father God, we give thanks that you are a generous God. We give thanks that you love us more than we will ever know. And we give thanks that you call us to love others. And we pray that we would truly be a loving people, not just in our words, but in our actions as well. And we pray that we will be loving in the gift of time that you give to us, that we will be generous with our time. 
Lord, we pray that you would build your kingdom even through the interruptions that we receive. Be it here, be it in work, be it at home, be it anywhere. We pray that even though it's hard, we will be willing to invest in others, even those who it's hard to like, even those it's hard to love. And Lord, we pray that where the need for us is there, we would receive your help as well. And so, Lord, we lift ourselves to you now, where we need help this day. And if we have it in the silence or we're willing to share it, we pray, Lord, that you would bless us. With your love, bless us this day, we pray. And come to us, we ask of you. In Jesus' name, amen.